fellow hooligans welcome back to another episode of the weaving words podcast we are joined today by a very special guest uh we finally did it we uh clear all the red tape got out the, the clearance we needed uh paid off the people that needed to be paid off and uh we got the one the only the edward uh welcome edward to weaving words podcast uh long uh, long time fan first time guest i guess um but yeah what's going on man <laughs> uh, not much uh I'm just a stranger that was on the street not too long ago, and they pulled me in, put me on the mic, and help! I'm being held against my will. Somebody stop this man! Yeah, and then the first thing I think I have to say is I don't know who this Noah person or this Chris person from the previous podcast than their relation to me. But uh, yeah, yeah, Edwards. Uh, uh, been uh, shopping uh, at the store that I work at for a while now. Um, you said, well, you started off with Legion, right? You're yeah, I started Legion. Legion. Yeah, back when um, Legion first came out, I remember you were assembling your Stormtrooper um, sergeant with yeah. Banner. Yeah, yeah, the fuck, that's a long time ago. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's been a minute now. <laughs> back at the Blackstone location. Yeah, yeah, Blackstone and uh, and then we had the Clovis location too. Shoot, man. Yeah, painting Stormtrooper sucks. Um, but yeah, no, so he's been hanging out and then you've slowly um, gotten into the uh, the Warhammer and most board games and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what about the board games uh, attracts you, dude? Like the Warhammer ones especially? Um, I think it's that you could kind of tell um, a story and you can almost imagine yourself like a bird's eye view of a conflict taken at some place in some relative space and time. And then you can, and for me, it's like being able to touch or see the size of the individual. Right. Right. You know, you get to get the scope, the scale of Mm -hmm. it. It's like, all right, you, you get like, you know, for Legion, since we both play it, it's like, oh yeah, you get to see like an ATST running by and Darth Vader and the stormtroopers and all that stuff. And it's kind of cool to see them fighting with stuff. Um, uh, is that part of the reason why you're playing the Horus Heresy since it's more like narrative play? Yeah. Um, but also in part, cause I, uh, I wanted to try out the new system and I like the models. Right on. Yeah. They're like cool. The ultramarine models that, that really uh, drew me in. Nice. But particularly the old sculpts. Right on. Yeah. So you like the more like squatty guys, you know, they look more like, uh, exaggerated proportions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or what are they called? They're not. They're not even firstborn, right? Firstborns the last models before this. What are, what are those called? The the old yeah. school ones that you like? Yeah, they were just firstborn. There was no Primaris. It was just Space Marine, <laughs> really. <laughs> but yeah, the um, and we'll get back to the uh, the Warhammer stuff in a bit. Um, but we we're you know trying to figure out some of the stuff that you wanted to talk about. And uh, you brought up uh, Tom and Jerry. They used to watch Tom and Jerry cartoons. Is that the only cartoon you used to watch, or is it just one of them that kind of stands out that you remember more? Yeah, just Tom and Jerry. Basically, anything that was on Boomerang, really. Right on. Oh, so you liked the uh, the Hanna Barbera stuff then? Mm-hmm. So like uh, Tom and Jerry, uh, Johnny Bravo, Johnny. Oh, freaking love Johnny Bravo. I don't know. That was a uh, what's his name? Um, freaking Family Guy. Uh, Seth. Seth. Uh, McFarlane. Yeah, Seth McFarlane. Yeah. That that was one of his shows. I did mm-hmm. not know that. Um, and I think it's also was it Tarkovsky? Gendy is Gendy Tarkovsky. I know he did Dexter's Lab. I can't remember if he did Johnny Bravo or not. But man, I love that show. Yeah, that that is a good one. Yeah, dude, Boomerang had some good stuff because he had new cartoons that were fun, like you know the the Johnny Bravo, the uh, Dexter's Lab stuff like that. But then you also had like the old Hanna Barbera stuff. So you mm-hmm. had like um, Scooby Doo. You had uh, Flintstones, Jets, and stuff like that. I used to watch a lot of Boomerang too. Um, some of the stuff I like, some of it I didn't, you know, because especially those old cartoons, they can get repetitive. Yeah. Um, what about Tom and Jerry? That do you remember liking, you know, enough to for it to stand out now? Like, um, well, it's kind of two parts. The first part it was, it was just something silly that you didn't have to think process too much. Yeah. a lot, and it was always some new setting, whether it's the Wild West. Right. Part where he just uses a uh, Jerry to uh, seal the cigarette that he just smokes in one <laughs> drag. To back when you can smoke on cartoons, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or the episode where there's just a circus elephant that's fallen off a train. Yeah, all these all these different locations, mm-hmm. wacky little stuff. Yeah, it is fun. I, I did like Tom and Jerry a lot too, which is funny because mm-hmm. that wasn't the type of cartoons I like. I was definitely more narrative driven, but you need mindless fun sometimes to yeah. kind of balance it out yeah but the thing that 
that um, strikes me as I got older is um, I started um, seeing, thinking more in depth in terms of the relationship between uh, a person like Tom and Jerry. Obviously, like in, throughout all the episodes, really, they're trying to get each other, best each other one or the yeah. other, or they're spiking in the middle of the way and getting in his own fun. But what I what I appreciate from the authors is anytime one of them was out of the picture for whatever reason, it felt as if the other character felt it. It was something missing. There's something missing, yeah. That it's like a, a Batman and a Joker. Right, right. Like they kind of need each other. Um, no, it makes sense because there was moments where you know they legit felt for each other. Like you know mm-hmm. something bad would happen to Tom, like you know where Jerry would think like, oh, he's gone or he's dead, and vice versa, and yeah. they actually feel bad about it. So it's one of those like, well, how much, you know, <laughs> do they really hate each other, right? Yeah, because they were always, you know, trying to beat each other up. But in the end of the day, they didn't really want to kill each other. It was more of a pastime. Yeah, it reminds me of a. I'm, I'm a huge Simpsons fan, so they did the the parody of the Itchy and Scratchy show um, during uh, Krusty the Clown. And it's so fun, but yeah, just mindless, kind of dumb. Um, Talking about cartoons that uh, we liked growing up, you brought one up uh, that I was a big fan of. It was the Jackie Chan Adventures. Um, and, yeah, did I, I remember tuning in all the time. I think that was on Kids WB, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the Talismans and Jackie and his uncle and his uh, niece and stuff like that. And I remember, I think it was the first episode of the first season was voiced by Jackie Chan. And then it went to the you know the American uh, voice actor. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about the show? Um, the end the end credits where Jackie Chan would just do show martial you his arts. his martial arts. And then he would talk to you in like broken English. You can barely understand. And you're like, Oh my God, he's talking to me. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, it always be life lessons and stuff like that mm-hmm. too. Because at that point he was just mainly doing a bunch of, uh, live action. Yeah. Um, yeah, he wasn't doing the martial arts. Well, he wasn't doing the martial arts movie anymore. Though, like the kung fu stuff, it was mm-hmm. very action stuff and like that, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but what do you remember about the show itself? Where like uh, that was memorable? Um, is there any moments, any characters you liked, any story plots? Any story plots? Uh, well, mainly just the idea that this uh, a talisman a sort would grant you these these different powers, unnatural right? things. The snake would mm-hmm. make you invisible. The bull would make you strong uh you know they all had different ability i think the horse would make make you not sick anymore or something mm-hmm. like that and uh yeah it was cool i remember i think it was season two or three they find out that um the powers not not the powers of the talismans it was the uh the little demon ninjas mm-hmm. um they were japanese they're like demons or whatever you know from for you know from a japanese uh, uh whatever god or whatever it was because um, one of the bad guy, the bad guys, like one of his uh, henchmen, was Japanese of Japanese descent. So he's like, "Oh, that's uh, that's actually Japanese. Those are only demons, not Chinese." Which I was like, in my, you know, as a, I think it was like ten, eleven. I was pretty young. So it was just cool to kind of be like, "Oh, different cultures. Okay, all right, that's different. I didn't know that." And just being taught stuff, it was kind of interesting. It was a, it was a really cool idea. Um, the dragon was cool. Everything was just, it was a really mm-hmm. cool show. I remember all of that. Yeah. The um. And then uh, we're talking about uh, Jackie Chan. You said you also, uh, growing up, you would watch uh, some of the uh, action movies at the time. So like uh, Rush Hour, one with Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. Was it Chris Tucker? Yep. Yeah. Um, how many of those did they end up making? Was it like they made three. three? Holy crap. And dude. they were going to do a fourth and then just never really happened. Never happened. What, what do you remember about the Rush Hour movies? Um, it was just, obviously, the... Jack Chan was playing up, really playing up the foreigner, yeah, yeah. trying to save the president's daughter <laughs> in, the, in the first episode. And it, it's just this, um, he's a, a by-the-book person trying to get things done, but he comes into contact with just uh, Chris's rather unorthodox method of solving crime. Yeah. And you'll see this in in various parts where... Chris is having to talk with his fellow, with his friends and, and who deal in illicit trade or smoking when he just smacks the, the, the weed, what they call the weed <laughs> cigarette in the pool room. <laughs> and just Chan's just confused. So why this is happening? <laughs> Thing, interactions so they, like that. Yeah, they, they really played more like the, the straight man and the, mm-hmm. uh, and the comedy, right? 
Um, I, yeah, I remember it was a lot of fun, um, a lot of action, a lot of really cool moments. I don't remember what the conflict was. I just remember, you know, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan just being wild and crazy and zany and stuff like that. And like you said, a lot. Mm-hmm. You, I remember more like the interactions between like the different groups and stuff like that. Like when I forget which movie it was where Jackie Chan brings uh, Chris Tucker's character to like a temple with the monks and stuff. Just a lot of fun goofiness and yeah, scene. that was number. I think that was number three. Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a really good series. Uh, a lot of fun. Those movies. I, we were talking about uh, the Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights movies, but you said you never really watched those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a uh, Shanghai Noon was uh, set in the you know the old west or whatever, and you had um, Jackie Chan and uh, and uh, Owen Wilson. Yep. Um, yeah, I forget. Same thing. Did I forget the conflicts? I just remember the characters and the little funny moments. But you know, they they do their whole thing. They you know save the day, whatever it is. And then Shanghai Nights was the one where they go to Britain, and then they save. Uh, it was an assassination attempt on like almost all the royal family to, you know, go down the line of succession uh, to some people, some guy who you know normally wouldn't have gotten it because he was so far down. Uh, but yeah, all those Jackie Chan movies were fun. Um, a lot of those action movies. Uh, you said you also used to watch um, the uh, the parody movies, right? Like scary movie. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's like a the little. Dirty secrets, <laughs> uh, the guilty ones, pleasure. The, there you go, guilty pleasures, and watching rather horrendous little screenplays that would we, you would <laughs> you would hope only lasts one film. Right? Yeah, because they did a ton of uh, scary movies. I remember yeah. I, I only watched the third one. I want to say I didn't watch any afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love those parody movies. They were fun. Mm-hmm. They were you know I was I, I was oh, I'm older than you, so like. Um, when they were coming out, I was probably in my early teens, you know, 10 to 13, 10 to 14, uh, maybe. And, uh, yeah, I remember not another teen movie. That movie was freaking awesome. You get to see boobs, which is freaking great. Anytime you got to see boobs as a teenager was awesome. Um, I think, and not another teen movie, the foreign exchange student, which you see her boobs. She was the yellow Ranger, in one of the power Ranger series. Um, so I just, I, again, it was just freaking awesome. I think, uh, Captain America was in it too. Freaking uh, Chris Evans, he had mm-hmm. a freaking banana up his butt. <laughs> what were some of the other fun uh, parody ones? Is there any other ones you remember? Uh, Meet the Spartans. Meet the Spartans. See, I that one was one I'd, I don't think I really watched. I might have watched it once and just forgot about it. Uh, but that was like towards the end of me phasing out of these parody movies and being like, all right, like I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, because it was essentially just one giant spoof of three hundred. Right, three hundred and a bunch of other shit. Right, because they also had Meet the Penguins. Uh, but yeah, it was Meet the Spartans, and they also did a, I think it was Epic Movie, and mm-hmm. all these other ones. Um, yeah, they did a superhero movie. They did that dating one. Like, yeah, the parody movies, they, they kind of jumped the shark, you know, which I guess, you know, with their parody. So yeah, they, you don't expect a lot from them to begin with. Oh, man. You said, uh, you know, that, that's a lot of the stuff that you watched in the past. You mm-hmm. said recently, um, story-wise, you're actually more interested in... Uh, in fact than fiction uh, since you've been doing or you were doing a lot of uh, work for your degree uh, in history and stuff and you were talking about a lot of local history especially the ones dealing with the protests with the you know vietnam war and stuff like that uh what's some interesting stuff that you uh came across while doing research for that um that for my research in particular it was focusing on a place like fresno state first because um there wasn't much written at the time about it other than I believe two essays. Um, each of them were about, I would say, twenty years apart. Oh damn! So wait, when, when would the first one? If they're twenty years apart, when would the first one have been uh, this, written? I believe in the eighties, and then the, mo- the most recent one was I think two thousand three ish. Oh dang! So yeah. It, so it was a far, it was fair um, in between, and no one had really put a lot of um, thought in terms of um, a historical analysis of the time. So my thesis in particular discusses the ramifications or the cultural ramifications of a Vietnam War in universities like um, Fresno State or more of a right, universities. Right, they were all drafted where, too, right? And they were all like college age or a lot of more college age yeah, too. Yeah, so, because a lot of the, well, in the history world, we talk about the democratization of history or bringing the history to places that, that never really got the spotlight and most likely deserved. So when I say historiography, it's a term that's used to describe in broad terms 
what's the, the, the narrative that has been slowly created through countless researchers, peer reviews, you know, not bullshit stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Collectively, and what are we going to And collectively, terms with? a lot of the history is viewed through the eyes of and lenses of places like um, a Berkeley, a Davis, a Stanford, a lot of these um, rather bigger, wealth, bigger schools, wealthy yeah. institutions. And the effects of a draft or what what, what is a culture shock because obviously the civil rights movement is going on and then you have global conflict on communism and now the boys are being drafted it shakes up a society like fresno that at one time saw itself as kind of exceptional and that they were not seeing these kinds of protests in the streets and then eventually we'll see people marching from places like Fresno State all the way to downtown Fresno in the rain holding the casket with the flag draped with the number of um, American casualties. Um, was this during during the war? During the war. Oh, dang. There was even fire bombings of computer labs. Really? In Fresno? Mm-hmm. Holy there were crap, dude. bomb threats. But uh, although I do touch on that, I touch on... You know what are these social implications in a in a in a place of higher education, and I discuss what um, protesting was like or civic activism was. What's uh, what's the climate? Most people think of universities as rather uh, liberal leaning institutions, but in a place like Fresno, it's not really the case. Yeah, it, and for something to pop up which kind of mimics other places is rather an extraordinary find that deserved a, a deeper analysis. Right. Right. You know, something to shed a little bit more light or bring it more, uh, mm-hmm. bring it out of, you know, obscure, yeah. the obscurity of 20 years ago, yeah. 40 years ago. So with the draft in particular, um, college age men or people college, uh, 18 to 20 something. Yeah. Um, as long as they were taking a um, full-time status, so it would be their 16 units, they were, were able to get what was called a, um, a draft deferment, or they can prolong their draft so long as they're studying. Obviously, you, the longer this could be extended even more if you're doing classes like STEM or ROTC, for example, but any major classified under this. And what you found in Fresno State is that a lot of the um, classes would eventually be canceled because of... Um, Not enough students? No, because uh, upper administration found a lot of resistance in places like the English department or the ethnic studies department. And eventually, through this uh, systematic culling of classes and departments, you find that now these people are at risk of being drafted because now the thing that they were trying to study for with a little bit of accreditation, uh, accreditation yeah. now no longer exists. So now this is not necessarily a one for, um, what you call it, legitimacy in the um, social and most importantly higher education, which was predominantly... Um, so you said there was uh, resistance for those classes. Now what does that mean? Like Resistance. So... Um, it's just, they didn't really like the people of color, really. (laughs) It it boils down to, obviously, um, racism and a lot of, hey, Chris, um, it just boiled down to a lot of racism and just wanting to squash resistance against the war, really. Interesting. And the best way to squash resistance was, you know, kick them off campus, uh, cancel their classes, and now they're eligible for the draft. Right. Um, and the way they got through this, obviously, one, cancel classes. But two, they also enforced the, the campus police department on there. So in the research and news clippings that you find, um, you'll see that the police department on campus played an active role in documenting these students, faculty, staff, members of the public, and using that information to effectively get them off campus. So there'll be no longer students. Teachers looking to get tenure status will no longer be getting that. Their contracts may be left to expire and not renewed. And it was a rather 
a serious affair that was more or less um, hidden right, away. And when it was investigated, it turns out that the police department had a habit of returning the photos to the person that originally took them, being the IE in the police department, and disposing of them, really. Interesting, interesting. So there were, and there was also cases of actual spying on campus, too. Oh, wow. So all, really all the traits of a Cold War th- thriller were at, right. right, were at a place like Fresno State. So, so for example, there was one, one particular moment where um, allegedly a, an administrator in a department sends a staffer to sit into a classroom of a English department faculty member to see if they're necessarily discussing things that may be controversial or anything that they may be essentially just dirt yeah to be used as leverage to eventually you know, get rid of them or pay or make it incredibly difficult for them right. to do their job there and it causes just this big stir and eventually in the height of things you'll see the um again the police department as a t- as a hammer for this kind of stuff um effectively conduct a raid oh wow on the department uh boarding up the walls searching through the cabinets again finding this um what they would describe as illicit materials um materials that allegedly included plagiarized documents from one of the deans that wouldn't look good if it was published just really nasty stuff there's there was a People with uh, rifles on the roof. What the heck? Police on all doors. And they really didn't want anyone going in through there. And at one point, one of these very deans uh, who allegedly plagiarized documents was seen running through the halls, runs down a flight of stairs, and runs into the department office that's being shut down. And he's observed going through a couple documents, stuffing them into a bag. And he runs out to the parking lot, throws them into the trunk of his car, and then leaves with them, with the documents never to be heard from again. Oh, wow. So what was it supposed to be like? What were they even looking for? Like, what was the proof that they'd have or the, you know, the evidence that they're looking for? Essentially just covering their tracks and then trying to find anything that would make... The that current they can use to blackmail or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. To get to get rid of these people, because uh, they were really um, making the university look bad in their eyes. In so, their eyes, yeah, they weren't they weren't fitting the narrative that they wanted. Mm-hmm. And you can't exactly um, get rid of them in a conventional sense. Right. You know, it'd, it'd leave them open for you know a backlash. Mm-hmm. So or, having this kind of incriminating documents uh, either real or fabricated would work in their favor right that's interesting dude that sounds freaking nuts yeah the uh we have a uh, one of our regulars now um he's been shopping with us for a little over a year now i believe his name's jim really really cool guy he's a vietnam he just turned 81 uh end of july this year and um what was it he was talking about you know when he was during the war when they would come back like how crazy it was he's like you know they, they pretend they weren't because he would say he was like uh yeah you know it was they hated us there was a lot of people that hated us and they would spit on us he goes they like to pretend like they didn't do that now but yeah i remember all these guys you know they would be yelling just the worst kind of things at me spitting at us and our friends when we're coming back and i'm like you dude, you know i get it it's controversial and stuff but it's like they were drafted you think they don't do you think they want to be there you think they want to go overseas i was talking to him this last week and he's like yeah when we would come back and touch down on American soil, would kiss the ground, you know, just thankful to be back in America. You know, they just didn't want to be over there. They didn't want to be, no, none of these guys, you know, I mean, there's probably some cycles out there that are like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to, you know, whatever, go over there. But most of them were were drafted. You know, he was he was going to Fresno State as well. You know, he was going to college there and stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys had to put their life on hold or, or just derail their life, you know, being forced to go over there, not even, like, having the option. Um like you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was Vietnam was a crazy time, and again, like people like to pretend like they didn't act a certain way, one way or another. You know, it's just it's crazy. And again, it, it like you were talking earlier, you know, like it it takes a lot of people doing a lot of work to cut through as much bullshit as you can when it comes to history. You know, and, and it's not necessarily bullshit. It's just 
doing work where really nothing had exists. It think of history like this uh, a giant rock and you have this idea for maybe like a statue or a figure or thing in that matter. And as historians, we are just slowly working away at it over and over. Yeah, and like over. an archaeologist does, you know, when they find some, you know, uh, mm-hmm. relics or fossils or whatever, yeah. they just got to slowly yeah. remove all the stuff that is not that, right? And so even and even and even when we do make let's say a consensus of what's going on and what's there it's all again up to interpretations and that's where you get different flavors of historians that can put a different perspective on the same events be it a social and economical uh, political uh, political issues really right right that's interesting. Again, it's just interesting to look back at history and just think like, yeah, man, like this happened. I'm a big history buff. Like I, I just like, you know, I'm constantly listening to uh, there's a YouTube series that I like watching called Biographics. Um, and yeah, it's just every episode is a biographic episode, you know, uh, on a on a person. I call them characters all the time because, you know, like they're they're characters, you know, they just happen to be real people that existed with interesting stories. Uh, but they're really good about, you know, just being very objective and telling stories, you know, with the information that they have. Uh, but I've always been a huge, huge history fan. And, yeah, sometimes it's it's hard. Um, cause I, what I really don't like is, like you said, uh, seeing a slant, hearing a slant. Like, I don't like, I don't care what your your um, motives are. I just don't want to hear bias and uh, subjectivity to history. History is supposed to be there, whether you like so, it or not. So could you give me an example of what this slant would be? So like, let's just say there's something like, you know, you're going back and you're talking about history. You know, we'll go back to Vietnam, right? And there'll be, again, conservative people being like, oh, well, you know, commies and this and that and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, you're you're trying to justify this history in a better light because it was going against people that you deemed were your enemies. But in the reality, you know, war, especially Vietnam, we should not have been there. You know, I think the last war that we should have been there and and, and it's difficult, like uh, the last war that you can glorify and justify and romanticize. The last war you can romanticize is World War Two, because that is clear cut and dry. These are the bad guys and they need to be stopped. But Korea, Vietnam, the Gulf mm-hmm. War, Afghanistan, like, yeah, bad things happen. But, dude, like it's a while to rile up humans to go overseas to kill other humans that were riled up to kill you over nothing mm-hmm. like bullshit you know yeah. <laughs> and uh, so again you know th- there might be somebody writing this stuff and again throwing a slant on it and and uh again just not being objective about it right like uh yeah. I- i've watched videos and listen to uh, podcasts and stuff about Vietnam. and they talk about it very objectively like you know the reason we're here is this and that's a proxy mm-hmm. war blah 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 communism like you know and, and it might sound more boring but i i think facts are interesting so to yeah. me it's it's you know a little bit more entertaining um but i don't like when it comes to history and science i don't like when people aren't objective about it you know like those mm-hmm. are there's no room to be subjective really you know like i understand you can have your feelings this and that but also you got to do that ahead of time it's like the history channel i love the history channel but they're not about history anymore <laughs> oh, i mean like uh oh these ancient aliens well that's real come on man uh, uh, then you're gonna tell me that you know the world's not ran by reptile people i i refuse refuse to believe your crazy <laughs> your crazy slant edward if for, for all i know you might be one of these uh round earthers you know like of yeah. course <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah again and, and uh it happens a lot in like uh what was it archaeology or whatever where people are are doing archaeology with uh there was a word a term for it that i was listening to where it was a uh, it was like uh you're doing archaeology with a, on a mission or something like that where it's like you're looking for archaeology yeah, to prove so, your point yeah so that would be what we consider bad research for so for my so my for my thesis for example i was just observing what literally was a span of 10 years and what they tell you Know, if you're doing a good job, is that do not try to find um, an answer to a thing before you've looked at the documents because things will turn up that may ultimately change the perspective of what you're even writing. My thesis ran through almost two to three different iterations before I was able, because of time constraints and COVID-19, 
to where I can figure out, okay, what does this really mean in the grand perspective of things? So when I originally wrote it, it was going to be about a, an observation of several different universities. And then eventually when the changing of scopes, new information comes up, it was best decided that you know, I'm going to focus on this narrow subject and try to explore it with the, you know, the most amount of depth that I could with the information I had. Because if I had this object mindset of I'm going to find this answer, then... You'll find a way to make it. I'll find a way to make it and it doesn't make for a good read. When right. Because when you want to get out, when you want to leave a master's program and thesis, which was minimum requirement 50 plus pages. Jesus. You want to be well researched and you want to be adding something. You want, it needs to be something where... There needs to be a purpose to a it. A purpose to it and you don't want it to be a, a thing that you wrote just to get a degree because then it's just going to look right. terrible. On yeah. You. Yeah, you want to you leave a good uh, a good so, mark. And, and um, you know, that, that happens a lot too. Um, what was I going to bring up? Because uh, you're talking about writing stuff and... Uh, yeah, especially when you're writing it. Is it different if you were making a video on something, like doing a video essay or whatever? But when no. you read when you read text, when you read any type of information, your brain processes it differently. And again, if you went into it with the, some type of subjectiveness or, or um, what is it, a bias? agenda or bias, well, it would come off like... Uh, well, the thing, uh, I got... It, it's um, as, uh, you know, I think it's human that we all have a bias... And obviously, when you're reading certain texts that has a clear and heavy indication of, of bias, the first thing you should do is look up who this author is right. and then start reading peer-reviewed works from other fellow historians so you can see what they're saying about this thing. Yeah, put it into perspective. It's I do that a lot with, with news. I don't, I don't like listening to mm -hmm. news because, again, people are going to throw their spin on it. And it's funny because they're trying to sell you on the news and... Yeah. The news isn't something that needs to be sold. The news yeah. is something you need to be told, you know, like mm -hmm. in the sense of like, I need to be informed yeah. on this. And so then, I read everything. I don't listen to it. I read it. And when I read it, I read three or four different mm -hmm. websites because I want to yeah. cut the bullshit out. The way. Yeah, but, but we all we all grow with the, we all grow up with our own opinions, our own biases. And in the program, you're trained to remain as objective as possible. And the nuance of which, you know, you could debate forever being that all no, pretty much all historical works are based off an argument of some sort, an argument of, I believe this and this day this event happened and we can only speculate on certain events or the actions of certain people and things of that matter. And... But they, they try your hardest to yeah. produce good work. Cause no, that's why I like, again, history stuff. If it's done well, there's no bias. You tell as far as you know the truth and and you know like uh, again like for me I, I love history i just don't want to hear somebody slant on it was like these were bad because blah 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 or these were good right you know we as americans you know we're all american right even though we're of you know different ethnic descents um you know we're, we're told that america was great and we do this and that and then you go back and you're like this wasn't that cool it was oh yeah but you know, we had to do it because we're American. We're great. I'm like, well, what about this right there? And it's like, you know, it's just pushing that narrative, whether it's good or bad. I just, you know, I'd like to just have the facts and come up to my own conclusion and kind of figure out what's going on, you know. Uh, and, and I feel with the way society is right now, that pendulum swings back and forth when it comes to um, the way history and facts and everything are uh, kind of given out. Um, and I, and I wish it wasn't that way. Again, I, I try to be in my life very objective, as objective as I can be, right? You know, we're humans, we're, we're going to have some type of uh, flaws. But I, I try to be as objective because, you know, there's, we live in the real world, not in this one we make up in our head, you know, unfortunately, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like uh, history is extremely important because you got to know where you've been and know where you're going. You got to know, you know, when you think things can never happen, it's like, well, they've happened before multiple times a lot of the times. Or, you know, hey, this has happened in the past, let's make sure it doesn't happen again. Or we can even learn from it, whether it's a good or bad experience. We can learn, like, hey, this happens, so let's not do this. Or, hey, these people in the past have dealt with similar stuff we have. Mm -hmm. How about we try to do something similar to get over like they did? You know, like, whether it's, a, you know, a, a pandemic or um, some type of, like, societal deconstruction. You know, like, there's ways of figuring yeah. it out. So, like, uh, so you bring up the pandemic. Like, uh, there was research done by... Uh, 
by a historian on, on campus at Fresno State who looked back and compared the, the differences between the, um, or simply as a curiosity project, really. What was it like during the 1910 Spanish flu? The Spanish flu, yeah. And a lot of the, there was a lot of similarities in which how the city reacted and eventually the people. So, you know, compared to now, the their version of what you would describe as a lockdown was relatively short. It was only about like one or two weeks. But once they started opening the floodgates, people just didn't want to go back. And then that's when you start getting your packed churches and meeting halls. And then now you see a second resurgence of the Spanish flu coming up in Fresno, killing, you know, hundreds of people and kind of how the things we're in now. So when the pandemic, to bring it back to the modern day, when the pandemic was going on, and still shutting down, you still see these things. So you had the initial scare. People were you know, taking it more or less seriously. And then it's just slowly started creeping out. And then one of the biggest places of contention was, again, the churches, who were yeah, more or less arguing that uh, <laughs> you know, these lockdowns were more or less uh, illegal because it infringed upon their right to yeah. practice religion, but yeah. which is... Uh, an argument for another day really right no i get it yeah no i completely understand yeah there's so much that goes into it um but yeah again if we had just looked back a little bit at history you know and and i said it from the get-go when everything went down i was like Mm -hmm. you know we we uh when 2020 hit it was a moment for you know everyone to come together and we just divided ourselves further unfortunately yeah and it sucks because you know you can get over it you just got to be a little bit more you know again objective Mm -hmm. which is why which is why history is important because it provides you with a different perspective on an event that happened in the past, which allows us to, if we, you know, we read it, we you know, we learn from it. Eventually, yeah, we get a window of what's going on. It. And what the great thing about history is, history, you know, stops at the present, mm-hmm. and we can really forge our own futures if there's nothing written in the books exactly what do you think is uh the future history books are going to say about 2020 21 21 20 21 <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, do you think there's going to be a chapter on uh, toilet paper not being able to be found yeah because uh people again it was just <laughs> people panicking Thinking what, what, what do you think the the, the world's <laughs> gonna end? So what do you think the hoarding? history books are gonna say they're like back in the day when they used to use toilet paper and not the three seashells. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> people uh, hoarded I, it. <laughs> I think it was it was something similar to akin to the Y two K panic. Yeah, people were thinking the world's gonna end because the clock's gonna turn to two thousand January first, <laughs> <laughs> and. People began hoarding supplies. So when people hoard supplies in a pandemic and when the global supply chain breaks down, now you create a scarcity of items. And now that's when you start seeing uh, 24 packs of waters going for $20. Going up. Things that we would find commonplace now becomes the uncommon and even rare. And that sets a level of tone of now people are freaking out how am i going to get things like a baby formula last year yeah this or earlier this year yeah mm-hmm. the baby formula that was wild again because people were hoarding it up and then making quick bucks off of it yep. people were going without supplies in a time where it was hopefully expected that you know we all came together we all know how much we really how much toilet paper how much water we were going to need I know, right in the span of a month you know i just got a bidet dude. i'll let the water clean my ass <laughs> yeah and once things started opening up and you know boats started arriving you now see places like uh smart and final having huge pallets of water just sitting there baking in the sun because no one can yeah they <laughs> because can't. they can't move at all because yeah. now no one's really scared yeah that, and that's what if, makes stuff sell scarcity and demand right yeah, if, how hard does it get a hold of and if, how high is the demand you know if there's anything that at least my personal thing that could be learned from an event like this is that in a moment of what would say of an uh, a global crisis really a new a virus not necessarily new because it's been around since the 80s 
So uh, before we move on to the next subject, uh, is there anywhere somebody can read uh, your your thesis and stuff like that? Um, It's on ProQuest. So the title is um, The Protest of the Unfortunate Sons. So it's a play on words on fortunate sons. Yeah. And I love that song. (laughs) And you'll be able to, uh, The Protest of the Unfortunate Sons, um, Campus Unrest at Fresno State. Okay. It's about 50, 60 pages Damn. Of just um, well, local history, really, at Fresno State, and it, I would hope that it sh- it shines a light in a different kind of a different meaning of what it meant to protest in an era like that, in a in an environment that was foreign to really mass demonstrations on that kind of scale, and that wholly hadn't. Uh, that was attempting its best it really um to find itself in the midst of an identity crisis yeah coming of age during a hard time yeah mm-hmm. right on and then uh you know we're, we're talking about uh history and some cool future stuff so what about some future history you know everybody knows about 40k but what about 30k edward what do people need to know about 30k that it's 10,000 years before the 40K universe. <laughs> but, also, um, also known as the uh, the Horus Heresy. Yeah, also known as the Horus Heresy. But um, what I'm looking forward into that timeline is um, they are basically wrapping up the, the 30K, uh, or what they're calling the Siege of Terror incident, where now it's the final days of the Horus Heresy. Right, they're wrapping it up. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically, it's the equivalent of like the end of like the Civil mm-hmm. War, you know, American Civil War. Yeah, and so it's like the the Horus Heresy, the guy named uh, Horus Lupercal, and then in order to understand the Horus Heresy, you need to go back to the creation of the Primarchs and then the Warring Gods. <laughs> and then, no, but uh, going back, um, it's because it, for me, I, I look at a lot of these books as like um, you know, like historical tellings of an event, incompletes as it were, like the Alfarius yeah. book, for example. What he starts off as saying is, I am Alfarius. This can be a lie, more or less. <laughs> things like that. And the only real things we had on the final battles, which has been de- a developing narrative over tw- the span of 20 years, from a small little paragraph in a White Dwarf article to a so board like a- game, and then eventually a Black Library series that'll span 50 plus books, and exploring the nitty gritty. Parts. And what I'm most excited about from, I think it's the end of death, okay, is that the emperor is finally getting off the golden throne. Now, and, and the image they provide is, is uh, it's funny because um, for how uh, much the emperor lauds himself as this, uh, you know, ambivalent person, altruistic, saying, oh, and this is what's necessary for the golden race and I'm not a god. You know, you have people like Lorgar, you know, worshiping as a god and eventually find his own gods. He himself is on top of this, um, what can only be described as like a, like a Mesoamerican uh, inspired like megalith. megalith pyramid. Yeah. With, again, his golden throne. At the very top. And his projection of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which for most, I would assume, human individuals were invested in the pyramid can only think of as a god he has tubes um hanging from the ceilings connecting to this chair and he's emitting this aura um casting a silhouette amongst the populace that goes down hundreds of feet of just stairs and i'm i want to know the you know, the beacon of the emperor is just disconnected from the golden throne. Now he's going to be replaced by Malkador, the sigilite, or Malkador, the hero, after he's officially strapped into the, strapped into this uh, uh, mechanism that barely the emperor knows how the how true the true uh, machinations behind it, and the thoughts of a man who is essentially going to crucify himself for the for the humanity or his humanity yeah what he thinks uh the the imperium of man should be right Mm -hmm. his vision of it because and in the artwork too you can tell that this is before obviously he is slain the custodies have the red um capes 
yeah. after the emperor dies or he is mortally wounded and put onto the chair, they switch to black. Oh, wow. It's filling these crucial details that essentially have been in 20 years in the making. The last real artworks we got for a thing like a golden throne was the uh, rogue trader era with rogue trade rogue trader and uh things in second edition warhammer so it's been a long time coming it's like uh you know something similar to this would be like you know when uh in the first Star Wars movie when uh, you know they mentioned the clone wars like oh you fought in the clone wars blah 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 you know they kind of it's just a throwaway line and they do they do a whole trilogy on it like <laughs> mm-hmm. you know so it's similar to that where it's like you know like you said it was such a small part of this lore these bits of lore here and there you know uh sprinkled throughout um you know the warhammer history you know rogue trader a few maybe rule books here and there codexes here and there you know some of the black library stuff and you're just like all right cool now let's see it you know like well, let, let's get let's get let's just you know pull the curtains back and let's just see what everyone's talking about and see if it's as good as they say you know or that they hint at it that it's been right mm-hmm. um and again it's interesting to read these black library books too because they're uh, a lot of the times they're in universe books right they're the yeah. point of view certain characters so it might not be a completely uh, reliable narrative, <laughs> yeah. especially in books like, you know, I, uh, the Alpharis when you were talking about stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see some of these books. I'm interested in uh, yeah. checking out what happens in that book, too, because it's part one of how many? It's going to be part one of, I believe, three. Yeah, so part volume one, of trilogy. one. And it's just it's the height of it. The Horus is uh, sending the Titan Legions, breaking down the walls in Terra, which is a modern-day Tibet. Um, And the defenses are falling. Dorne is barely holding on. White Scars are doing their things at Eternity's Gate. Um, Supplies aren't coming in. The Ultramarines are far... is stuck fighting the Death Guard and barely making their way. They make the secondary empire. The... Astronomicon, which is essentially the way in which the um, Imperial Navy sees through this, the terror, the warp. the warp, the rift storms that's being created, is just gone dark. Yeah, because he's the one who controls he's all the that, one right? He keeps the webways yeah, open. After uh, Magnus, who you know, tears through the um, webway project, breaks these um, incantations or seals, cast to protect Terra, he is... Uh, mentally strained and he's taken off that uh psychic magnifier um to try to essentially um to finish this it could either mean uh, you know essentially a victory for humanity or death right and i it's just understanding the thought process of uh, uh of the emperor or uh, as often what do you, what are you hoping to see in this this final trilogy of you know the horse heresy I would like to see um, just not the emperor himself, because I'd imagine what he would have to say of for the greater good. No, that's Taoine. The uh, <laughs> um, it was. Uh, I just want to see more uh, human perspectives as to what trying to rationalize an extraordinary event. Right, yeah. Uh, again, through, through a lens of, of you know, maybe a primary, but like just individual dudes. Yeah, just regular people. Well, you know, that's that's always interesting to see stuff like that. You know, we I, I kind of attended earlier to um, the American Civil War. But yeah, when you get the accounts of not soldiers, not politicians, and not generals or anything like that, when you get the sto- the accounts and the the life perspective of some of these guys who just lived in the South or in the North while this was going on, yeah, it's wild to see. You know it through their lens right like so and then they don't do that in warhammer a whole lot 40k or any of that they're very i don't i don't even want to say very rare you i don't think you ever see normal non-combatants point of view of these big events right like it's always somebody the reason there's people there is to fight or to do something to serve one side or another mm-hmm. so it's definitely interesting to see because you know they're on earth right like they're <laughs> You know, that's where people are, you know, like non-fighters, too. So I wonder what was going on through that. It'd be interesting to see what a normal person's, you know, view of the Emperor or Horus, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, I wonder what how they justified in their heads of, like, what am I seeing? Like, how are they fighting or why are they fighting? So that should be interesting. 
There you go. You finally built the model. <laughs> All righty. We'll, we'll wrap it up right here, Edward. But uh, thanks for being a guest. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll, real quick, one more time. What, what was it that they can see your uh, your thesis for for the um, uh, your Vietnam uh, paper that you wrote? You said it was a website? Uh, yeah, it's on a ProQuest. Pro. ProQuest, Pro, and it's basically a, a repository of a bunch of um, work from scholars where you can find it. Or if you just wanted a PDF, I'll just send it to you. Really. There you go. Um, but, yeah, thanks a lot for listening, guys. Uh, follow us on the Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, WeavingWordsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Weaving Words, everything. Um, and then, yeah, uh, if you guys um, have any questions, any suggestions, any guests you want to see come back, uh, let us know. Um, yeah, thank you. See you guys later. Goodbye.